Well, good morning. Morning. So today is our last week on our series, Questions That Matter. And I hope you have been enjoying the series. Uh, next week, we are going to start a new one on the, the book of First John. So um, next week, we're going to do a five-week series on the five chapters of, of First John. And then after that, I'm, I'm super excited because it's going to be December. All right, Christmas. I can play Christmas music again, finally. Um, and then by like the end of December, I never want to hear Christmas music. <laughs> uh, but what's, what's neat is in December, we, you know, we sing hymns and we sing, you know, O Holy Night, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and a lot of these songs that, that, are, that are great, that are, uh, sometimes we just love singing, but how often have we actually thought through the words and the meaning and the theology behind it? So in December, we're actually going to be looking at hymns. Uh, different hymns every Sunday, the Christmas hymns, and looking at the theology behind it and, and what it means, um, you know, and, and looking at that and, and the Word of God and, and wrestling through that. So that's going to be a really fun series. But today, I'm going to attempt to answer the question that I think is on the hearts of most of us today, right? And especially with the mass shooting that happened in Las Vegas, uh, the recent natural disasters that have happened, uh, you know, like Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Jose, Maria, the, the floods in South Asia that have killed more than a thousand people and, and all the fires in, in California. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right? That's the question that was submitted and, and we kind of left it to the end uh, because, <laughs> number one, it's a really hard question to answer. Uh, but, but number two, a, a lot of the other questions that we've tackled have, in a sense, led up to this one. So why do bad things happen to good people, and how are we to even make sense of these disasters? All right, that's the two-part question that we're going to address. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. And God, we just pray that you would open our ears, our heart, our mind, Lord, that in and through everything that we have gone through, are going through, will go through, Lord, that you would just uh, meet us and speak to us the words that only you can speak. So fill us with your Holy Spirit and, and may we just understand from your word what you need us to, to deeply grasp and understand. We love you, we praise you, and we give this to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's open up Psalm 46, because uh, in, in order to answer such a complicated and pressing question, uh, God's Word is uh, sufficient, and, and God's Word, once again, uh, this, this is the place that we need to turn to because it's, it's the way that the Lord speaks to us. It's the way that the Lord directs us in and through our everyday, especially as we look at questions like this. So Psalm 46 verse 1 is where we're going to begin. And we're going to camp out uh, in, in this verse for a little bit here. All right, so Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. He's a helper who is always found in times of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. In the midst of what seems like an increase in the number of tragedies, disasters, and senseless acts, we need to remember this truth right here, that God is 
that God was and that God will always be our refuge and strength. Right? God is our refuge and strength, as we see in verse 1. God was our refuge and strength. And when we look in the Word, we see how God was the refuge and strength for His people. And, and it says here that God will be tomorrow, later on today, He will be our refuge and strength. So when tragedies happen, and it, it often feels like God has looked the other way, right? When tragedies happen, it feels like perhaps God is busy attending to someone or something else. When tragedies strike, it feels like God has abandoned us or forgotten about us. What we really want, if you look behind this question, is not even why do bad things happen to good people, but Lord, why do you even let these things happen? We want God to prevent them from happening in the first place. So why doesn't God prevent bad things from happening? Is it that he can't? Is it that he won't? So before we even ask why bad things happen to good people, we first need to wrestle through the question of why bad things happen in the first place. And there are a couple of things that we need to hold in tension to address this question, right? The first thing is we have free will, right? God has given us free will. That's the first thing that we need to hold in tension. The second thing is that we are sinful beings, right? Romans 3.23, for all is sin and falls short of the glory of God. You can't have one without the other. And one will inevitably lead to the other. Just look at our world, right? Just look at how the exercising of free will leads to destruction, how the exercising of our free will leads to tragedy, how the exercising of our free will leads to hurt and devastation, right? There is a personal responsibility that always is anytime tragedy or hurt or person, you know, something happens. Now, it may not be you, but it could be someone else there because there's sin, there's brokenness in our hearts and in our lives, right? It's like this. Anytime I get into a fight with my wife, and I and we, when we were on vacation two weeks ago, we got into a fight, and always, right? Always when you're on vacation, and every, you know everything's supposed to go smooth and great, and it's not. Uh, and I was, I was like, you know, I, I was, I was thinking about all the things that she did wrong, and all the things that, you know, it's, it's all her fault, all her fault. Anyways, I took the kids swimming, and and I just was swimming, and I was like, no. What did I do? And I had to ask myself. I was like, what did I do to contribute to this? And I was like, wait, actually, I think it's my fault, not her fault. <laughs> so I went up and I repented. I, 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 you know, asked God for forgiveness. I asked Christina for forgiveness. And, but every time we get into a fight, it's never 100% one person's fault. Maybe 99% one person's fault, and it probably was 99% my fault in this instance. But it's never 100% one person's fault because we react Right? We say things, and sometimes we say things, and sarcasm's all fun and good until we take it that just, just, just that, you know, it's that slight tone or that shift or that, it's just takes it over the edge. Right? It's never 100% one person's fault. And when we look at the sin, the destruction, the hurt, the evil in this world, 
It is a result on the one hand of God giving us free will and, and, and the sin that is in our heart that birthed those things. Yes, it is that, but there's also something else. Bad things happen, yes, because there's sin and rebellion in our hearts, but also because there's systemic sin that surrounds us. Yes, there's personal sin, but there's systemic sin that happens as well. For example, my very first county fair three years ago, right, and I, they don't have county, I mean, we have like, we don't call them county fairs in Canada, but uh, it was like actually called the Wilson County Fair, and we were like, I just read about these things in Charlotte's Web, uh, so no, literally, that is all, all the only place I've ever heard of a county fair, so I was like, let's go to the county fair, right, and just like looking for the pig, seeing it, you know, we saw the big prize pig, and you know, there was no spider right there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we were experiencing the county fair in all its fried glory, right? And then you know what I saw? I saw a little kid that was probably too young to be able to even dress themselves wearing a t-shirt with a confederate flag on it. And this is when all the Charlotte shootings, it's, maybe it wasn't three, maybe it was two years ago. It was, it was when all that, it wasn't even like before that. It was when it was all happening and when the flags were being, you know, not being able to be sold anymore. And, you know, all that was happening. I see this little kid who can't even dress themselves wearing a t-shirt with a confederate flag on it. And I'm like, that, that is systemic sin. Because it's the environment that they're growing up in. So here's another thing. I saw this last week. When teenagers Instagram a video of themselves saying racial slurs against a, another ethnicity, what, what do you think caused them to even think that that was a good idea? Right? Not even doing it, but videoing themselves doing it. Was it just them saying, you know, I don't think this has ever been done before. Let's do it. Let's, you know, I mean, it's the environment that is around them. There's, there, there is personal sin, but there's this, these environmental, these systemic issues that, it, that have influenced them toward adopting that worldview. Here's another question. Why does poverty often beget poverty? Jeffrey Sachs in his book, The End of Poverty, it's a fascinating read. He talks about the, the, the end of world poverty and what that looks like. And, and why are we not there? Because just getting people off of that rung of being able to just sustain themselves is such a hard, big, and giant leap to do. So what happens? Well, it's so hard to get off of that that poverty just begets poverty generation after sin. I mean, why is generational sin a thing? If you grew up in an abusive home, there's a high likelihood that you'll be susceptible to similar behavior or be the person who is abusing someone else unless... You come before the Lord, right? And there's healing in your life. It's not inevitable, but it is if you don't allow the Lord to do a healing work in your heart. The same goes with alcoholism. Why is that often a generational thing? Bad things happen because yes, we are sinful beings and God has given us free will, but bad things also happen because sin is perpetuated in cycles because of the systemic nature of it. I mean, think about it like this. If, if, you, if, you, if you're married, if you are engaged, if you're dating someone, I mean, there's a book called Love and Respect. It's been around for a while. It's a fantastic read. 
highly recommend it, but in it, it describes the systemic cycle really well. So here's an example. If, if a wife doesn't feel loved by her husband, right? If a wife doesn't feel loved by her husband, what does she do? Well, she often doesn't show respect to her husband, right? And what happens when a, when a wife doesn't feel loved by her husband and she doesn't f- show respect to her husband? Well, because the husband doesn't feel respected, he doesn't then show love to his wife. And his wife doesn't, if his wife doesn't feel loved, then she doesn't, she won't respect him. And if the husband doesn't feel respected, then he won't love her. Do you see the cycle that happens there? You just think about how that is so true if you're in a relationship with someone else, right? It's, and in order to break that cycle, someone needs to break it. Someone needs to say, and I believe it's the role of the husband to do so, that the husband needs to say, hey, regardless of whether I feel respected in this situation or not, I need to choose to love my wife. Even though I don't feel like loving her in this situation, and even though I don't feel respected, and other, I may feel that other people are respecting me more than my wife, I need to choose to love her. I need to choose to serve her. I need to choose to give myself up for her like Christ gave himself up for the church. And that's what actually breaks the cycle that happens, love and respect. It's systemic. So here's the second question. Yes, we talked about why do bad things happen, but why do bad things happen to good people? Right? Here's another way to think about the question. Why doesn't God do anything about these bad things? Why doesn't... God, and why didn't God a few weeks back allow or cause the shooter's gun to fail in Vegas? Why didn't God redirect the path of the hurricanes? Why doesn't God heal my family member or loved one of cancer? Why doesn't God heal or answer my prayers that I'm bringing before him moment after moment, day after day? Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment with God, addresses this tension and another book that I'd highly recommend here. This is what he says. Why didn't Jesus brandish a sword in Gethsemane or call on his legions of angels? Why did he decline Satan's challenge to dazzle the world? For this reason, if he had done so, he would have failed in his most important mission to become one of us, to live and die as one of us. It was the only way God could work within the rules he had set up at creation. All through the Bible, especially in the prophets, we see a conflict raging within God. On the one hand, he passionately loved the people he had made. On the other hand, he had a terrible urge to destroy the evil that enslaved them. On the cross, God resolved that inner conflict, for there his son absorbed the destructive force and transformed it into love. As long as we're living here on earth, as long as we're living on this side of eternity, there will be evil and suffering. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, right? Jesus is saying this, you will have suffering in this world, so be courageous, I have conquered the world, but 
God has not left us alone to deal with our disappointments. God has not left us alone to deal with our hardship, our pain, and our sorrow, right? Remember Psalm 46, verse 1. God is. God was. God is. And God will be our refuge and strength. In fact, because God became man through his son, Jesus Christ, because God, through Jesus Christ, personally suffered the pain of systemic sin and evil, and just, I mean, that's another exercise to to think through the systemic sin that reigned in the hearts of the Jews that caused them to even want to crucify the systemic sin that was living and in the temple system, the systemic sin in the Pharisees' hearts, the systemic sin in the Romans. Because Jesus personally suffered the pain of systemic sin and evil and the personal sin of those, he is not only able to empathize with our pain and suffering, he is actually preparing for us a new heaven and a new earth. God is preparing for us a reality, a, a reality where there will be no more pain, suffering, hardship, or evil. Where death has been defeated because of Jesus' victory on the cross through his resurrection. So in the midst of evil... In the midst of suffering and tragedy, verse 2 in Psalm 46 is how we ought to live in light of this, right? So Psalm 46, verse 2, therefore we will not be afraid, right? In the midst of Las Vegas, in the midst of these hurricanes, in the midst of all of the personal pain and hardship that you are going through, the unanswered questions that you might be walking through right now, in the midst of, we, verse 2, we will not be afraid, right? In the midst of the earth trembling, the mountains toppling, you know, that's what it means here, in the depths, into the depths of the sea, though it's waters, ro- water roars and foams and, and the mountains quake with its turmoil, right? In the midst of all of this, why should we not be afraid? Right? In the midst of everything that is happening, why should we have hope in Jesus Christ? Well, in verse 4, we read, why? Because there is a river. Right? In the midst of the earth trembling, the mountains toppling, the waters roaring, the mountains quaking, there is a river and its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. What does it mean for God to be our stronghold? Think about a bunker. Right, think about a bunker in wartime, in the midst of bombs, in the midst of gunshots, in the midst of travesty going on all around you. What is the role of a bunker? What is the role of a stronghold? Is it to remove you? Is it to export you? Is it to sanitize you from everything that is going on? Is it to, to close your, uh, you know, to block your ears, to close your eyes and just like try to 
wipe everything away? Or is the purpose of a stronghold and a bunker to allow you to actually persevere through it? In, the mo- in moments of hardship, in moments of personal hardship, and when we read the news and watch the news and see everything where it really seems that everything is caving in all around us. As we read in verse 4, God promises that he will be with us, right? It says, there is a river. Saying, God will be with us. God will make a way. Now, a few weeks back, um, when the mass shooting happened in Las Vegas, uh, one of my pastor friends, Vance Pittman, he pastors a church in Las Vegas, and uh, there was a police officer that was actually on the scene there ministering to and helping uh, with everything that was happening. And this police officer, he actually, uh, who, who goes to Vance Pittman's church, was interviewing the victims who were wounded. And uh, he shared this one story of this woman who on Sunday evening she was shot. And when she was shot that Sunday evening, she was talking to her husband on the phone. Well, after she got shot, she dropped the phone to the ground when she was hit, and, 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 she went, and then she also fell to the ground, and in that moment, she literally felt like she was going to die, and those were the words from the officer, and so the only thing that she knew to do was to crawl over to the phone and tell her husband goodbye. Well, when she got to the phone, she rolled under a nearby bench to get some protection, And when she rolled under the bench to tell her husband goodbye, she said that there was immediately a nurse that was standing right there over me. And the nurse said to her, you've been injured, you've been wounded, I need to get you out of here and get you to some safety to get you some help. So the the nurse helps her up and helps walk her all out of the chaos, through the chaos, to a pickup truck where there were already two men wounded men who had been shot in the back of the pickup truck waiting. So they loaded the lady into the pickup truck and the nurse got in with her. They drive and they drove to the hospital. Now these two folks uh, obviously knew each other since they talked all the way to the hospital, but this woman just sat in silence with the nurse and the nurse actually held her in her arms all the way to the hospital. Well, when they got to the hospital, they loaded her out and, and sent her in. And, and as this lady began looking around for the nurse that had helped her, she said to the officer that she couldn't find her and that she had disappeared. Well, the other two guys in the truck, after asking them, actually said that they don't even remember a nurse being in the truck with her. So the police officer asked, how do you know it was a nurse? And she responded, I, I, I know it was a nurse because... Well, I, 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 I actually don't know if it was a nurse. Do you think I dreamed she was there? And the officer who goes to Vance Pittman's church responded, I don't think you dreamed it at all. It seems to me that God sent an angel to lead you out of that harm and protect you. Does God still do this today? Psalm 34, verse 7, we read it, right? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. 
and he rescues them. So, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Right, we see this in the chapter that we're looking at right now, right? Psalm 46, 6 and 7. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when he lifts his voice, yet the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So even if it looks like everything is falling down and caving in around us, we read and we see that God was that God is, and that God will be our refuge and our strength. So yes, bad things happen. They've happened, they're happening today, and they will happen later. Yet, God is right there. In the midst of everything that happened in Las Vegas. As I read in a comment on Facebook, one person saying, God just hid in a closet. No. God was there. But why doesn't even, why does God just prevent it from happening? Right? Why doesn't he just prevent it? And if yes, God is there and evil still happens because there's personal sin, there's free will, there's systemic sin. And yes, okay, God was there and yet evil did happen. And, and, and doesn't really make sense, but you get the logic. Then the next question is this. Then, okay, how do we even make sense of these then? Or how, how are we supposed to respond in light of this? Well, the first thing that we need to do to respond is that we need to approach God because God has not abandoned us. In the midst of it all, God was, God is, and God will be our present our present help in times of trouble. And we can approach God, we can have confidence to approach God in the moments of our suffering and pain and hardship because in Hebrews 15 we read, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We can approach God Because he can sympathize with us. The word sympathize, if you break it down, is made up of two words, suffer and with. That's what the word sympathize means. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was spit on. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was put to death through the free will of individuals, through their personal sin, as a result of the systemic sin that was happening in that society. Yet, even though he went through all that, because he went through all that, he can sympathize and suffer with everything and anything that we have gone through and will go through. Therefore, as it says in Hebrews 4.16, let us, this is our response, therefore in the midst of everything that is happening in and through and around us, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. So first of all, in the midst of these moments of suffering, let us approach God and run into his arms. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. 
So yes, we need to approach them. But secondarily, we need to come to terms with the fact that there are many things here on earth, on this side of eternity, that we will never be able to comprehend. Philip Yancey puts it well. All right? It's like describing colors to a person born blind. This, the problem, the issue, the question today to fully understand and grasp the question that we are wrestling through today is like describing colors to a person born blind or a Mozart symphony to a person born deaf or expounding the theory of relativity to a person who doesn't even know about atoms. Just imagine yourself communicating to a creature or bacteria or amoeba on a microscopic slide. The universe to this creature on this microscopic slide consists of two dimensions. The flat plane of the glass, when you go over that flat plane, it's done. There is no more reality. This piece, this creature cannot perceive anything beyond the edges. So how can you convey a concept of space or height or depth to such a creature? Looking from above, you can understand this creature's two-dimensional world really well. Because you are above it in a three-dimensional world surrounding this creature's two-dimensional world. But this creature from below can only comprehend a world of two dimensions. This is what it's like for us. We see, we taste, we hear, we feel. Yes, there are three dimensions, and yes... They're 4K, you know, you can have 4K TVs and, right, you can see that happening and, and go really close to the screen, but there's a limit to that. There's a limit to what we experience here on earth. Just think about time. Do we really understand and grasp time? No, we are living in time in the moment by moment, and we are living in linear time. Where, and this is, is kind of goes you, you know, it kind of makes you really think, is there even a present? Because when I say present, it's already past. Is there a, you know what I'm not Like there's, we are living in linear time, yet God says that a thousand days for us is like, a thousand years to us is like a day to him and vice versa. And that's, and that's, that's time. We can grasp that time is a dimension. Imagine all the dimensions that we don't even fully understand and even know about. I want to invite the worship team up. And as we think about this, all right, as we think about the problem of evil, as we think about the problem of even free will and disaster and, and suffering and pain that we are working through right now, as we think through all of that, we need to understand a few things, right? There's personal sin, there's systemic sin, and as a result, we need to approach 
the Lord our God and that yes, there are things that we can understand but we will not fully understand. There are things that yes, we are experiencing now and, and maybe in hindsight a year or two years later there we might see a hope, we might see light, we might see redemption, we might on this side of eternity but we also might not. So how are we to respond? Well, what's beautiful about the hope that we have in Jesus, what's beautiful about what we are working through right now is that our suffering is temporary. What we feel now, we will not always feel. In fact, think about this, right? What you feel now, you will not always feel. So the disappointment and the hardship in our hearts, think about it like this, right? When you are, I mean, the Lord knows what you are working through right now. The Lord knows what pain or hardship or hurt you are holding in your palms that you may even have sheltered away from the Lord, hidden, and and it's it's too hard to bring it up right now. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's the question of, Lord, why did this person have to die? And you still don't understand. It's like, especially when children die. And it's like, Lord, I I understand if someone's like, was on the mission field and and they were like evangelizing and then then they died. Okay, I can maybe kind of grasp that. I can maybe kind of grasp if you're 95 and, you know, then something happens. But why? Right, and we have these questions. And then we look at what's happened in the news and or in America and also around the world. And we're like, Lord, just, just give me a reason. Just help. I don't logically even understand or I, I can't even begin to grasp why this would even take place. Like, Lord, you said you are good. But I don't see any goodness. I don't see any redemption in and through this. Right? And we struggle with these things. We, there's, there's this, right? There's this, there's this dissonance in our hearts. There's this aching in our hearts that happens. And what I want to tell you today is that that aching in your heart, that tension you feel, is actually a gift from God. It's actually a gift from God. And this is how the enemy tries to skew it. He says, oh, you see, you see, you see? This is what the enemy says. You see, the reason you're feeling the way you're feeling is because God is actually not real. Because if God was real, he wouldn't have hidden in a closet. If God was real, he would have even prevented this. If God was real, the triggers would have failed. If God was real, and the enemy tries to take this dissonance that is actually a gift from God, and the enemy tries to skew it and slap us in the face and say, this is why you need to leave. This is why you need to run the other way. But friends, I want to tell you that the disappointment and the hardship that we experience when suffering happens, this is a gift from God because God is saying in that, he is saying, do you feel this? Do you feel this pain? It's a reminder that you will not always feel this pain. God is saying when you feel that, he is reminding us there is a better day that will come. 
When we feel that suffering and that hardship, God is saying, this is not all that there is. It's a gift. Because today, how easy is it to forget God? How easy is it if we are sick to diagnose ourselves, to go to 24-7 emergency, right? If we want something, you order it. In the midst, in, in, a, in a time of reality and life when it is so easy to live without God, it's a gift when tragedy strikes and God prods us in our heart and says, see, this is not actually all that there is. The world, the life that you have built yourself, that you think is perfect, that is great, that has your white picket fence, that is all good. This is not all that there is. It's a gift that God has given us. He's saying what you see now will not always be because the day is coming when all things will be made new because Jesus is going to come to rescue, renew, and redeem. But this is only true if you have a relationship with him. This achingness, that you, this dissonance that you feel in your heart, it can only be redeemed and turned to hope and to actually be turned into expectation as to what will be. It's only true if you have a relationship with Jesus. It's only true if you understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he did that so that he can suffer with and sympathize with everything that you are going through so that you will be risen to new life just like he was risen to new life. It's only true if you have committed yourself to Christ. Christ.